go to Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Matthew chapter 2, back where we were last week. We are going to be continuing our study this week and next week on the claims of Christmas. Uh, enjoy studying out the Christmas story and seeing the truths that can be uh, found there and applied there to be reminded of uh, a great time of year uh, to remember uh, Christ's birth. Of course, we take time to remember aspect of Christ's life throughout the year, but uh, in this time of year, especially focusing on His coming and how it was promised and how God keeps His promises and the gift that God gave to us through His Son and what a, what a wonderful um, reminder we have in the Word of God. So it's Today we're going to be looking at Matthew uh, chapter 2, revisiting the story. Last week uh, we, we came back into this series by looking at the idea that Christ was prophesied. That was the claim made by the chief priests and the scribes. They were acknowledging, yes, that you want to know about uh, this man. What do we know about him? We know that he was prophesied in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at that same story this morning. And we're going to be looking at another character that usually uh, isn't too prominent in most of the time, the Christmas season, Christmas story. I've never seen a uh, nativity set that came with a King Herod piece. Um, I, don't, I don't think uh, I've ever, ever seen that before, uh, but, uh, but uh, he is part of the story. He played a pivotal role um, here in the biblical account. It was he. Uh, who coordinated the wise men's trip to Bethlehem. He was the one that they came to and said, hey, we need to know where to go. And, and he, he got them going along their way. Um, it was he who motivated the fulfillment of at least two Bible prophecies. And he also made a claim about Christ that we want to consider this morning. We're not going to see that him say this explicitly, but it is implied through uh, the text that he considered Christ to be dangerous. Um, and we're going to see why. We're going to see um, um, how that was the case. That idea is coming specifically from verse number 3 in Matthew chapter 2. If you want to look there with me, there the Bible says, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So we see King Herod was troubled by the news that Christ had been born. And why was he troubled? Because he thought that Christ was um, dangerous. But as we get into the story this morning, I want to refresh our memories by reading the whole account. So we'll take, take a few minutes here to read Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 18 to see the interaction. We kind of jump back and forth different, different scenes of what's going on, but we'll get the context here to see King Herod as a whole in this passage and we'll go back and consider him uh, and the message that he shared about Christ and what that means for us today. So here in Matthew chapter 2, we'll read this passage. The Bible says in verse 1, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I might come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. 
And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared, appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there till, until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose... When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And it was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. Let's open the word of prayer this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you for uh, your word, the lessons that we can learn from it. We thank you for sending your son to, uh, Lord, be born, to live and to die, Lord, on our behalf, and to rise again so that we could have victory over sin, uh, death, and the grave, Lord, a home in heaven, our sins forgiven, all of that, Lord, was coming from uh, the gift that you gave of uh, your son as a baby in Bethlehem. Lord, pray you bless us as we study your word this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So we see Herod here, Herod the king, uh, playing a pivotal role here in the, the early life of uh, Jesus, here as a young child. And this is, as, as most of you know already, this was not taking place uh, in the stable, in the manger. They had, they had moved on into, into a home. Uh, we might talk about the timing of when this would happen if we take time to consider uh, the wise men still looking at what we're going to teach on next week. But it, it might be uh, the wise men, if we do, we'll talk about the timing a little bit more. Um, but, but Herod here in the life of Christ as a, as a very young child uh, is, is playing a pivotal role, uh, ending up getting Mary and Joseph to, to leave the country for, for safety reasons because of his reaction here to the news that Jesus had been born. And it's a pretty amazing reaction that this king sitting comfortably in uh, Jerusalem is worried about a baby uh, that was born in Bethlehem. But as we'll look today, he did have cause uh, for worry, although his response was not the right response to the news that he heard. So we're going to start this morning by looking at the messenger. Who was this man, King Herod? Um, and, and we'll see his character, we'll see his nature, and we'll see how that played into the story. But before we talk about Herod, we kind of have to have to go into the idea of rightly dividing the word a little bit because there's not just one Herod in the Bible. Um, you see the name Herod, that, that refers to a couple different um, people. Can anybody think of an instance where, where Herod comes into the biblical account somewhere? We have here in the story of of the wise men, we see a Herod. Can anybody think of another time there's a Herod? John the Baptist was beheaded by a Herod. Yep. Anybody else have, have an idea, Eli? Yep, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod to be tried. All right. 
There's a Herod that beheaded James, uh, the, the apostle in Acts chapter 12, and also started persecuting uh, the church. And then there was another famous instance of a Herod, um, and that was the one who stood up and defied God, and God killed him. You remember the story that he was killed there by worms, right there as he was making this proclamation about how great he was. So this, this Herod shows up, and it's not the same guy across the board. They are all part of what's called the Herodian dynasty, um, that Herod came into power in the area of Judea under the authority of the Roman Empire. And it was his son and grandson. So this is a father, son, and grandson that are mentioned here in the biblical account. We just gave all these instances. So there are three Herods. We have Herod the Great. We see him here in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. This is the one who was um, in the ruler when Christ was born. He was also the one who rebuilt the Jewish uh, temple, and you had, uh, he had invested in a lot of architecture in the area, and one of the things what he had done was to rebuild the temple. Then we have Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is in Matthew chapter 14, verse number 3. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. So he was the one who had um, imprisoned John the Baptist. He was the one who had beheaded John the Baptist. And he also was the one who questioned Jesus when he was sent Jesus by Pilate. So he was the one who was ruling when Jesus was going through his earthly ministry. And then Herod Antipas passed off the scene, and then we see Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa is the one who is the grandson of Herod the Great, but he was the one ruling when he started to bring persecution on the church in the book of Acts. So there are these three. He was the one who killed James, persecuted the church, and was killed by God for his, um, for his blasphemy, saying that he had done all that he had done on his own. Um, this is seen in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to certain of the church. So understanding throughout the biblical account, we have these three Herods, uh, father, son, and grandson that ruled in the area of uh, Judea um, in the time of, uh, of the Bible and under Roman control. So this one we're talking about here in the story in Matthew chapter 2 is Herod the Great. And we look at Herod the Great, we see that he was a, a ruler. He came to power really through brutality. It was through scheming, conniving, and, and, and murder, and betrayal. That's kind of the path that Herod left in his wake coming into power in, um, in Judea. He was originally appointed as a temporary governor in Galilee around the age of 25. He was elevated to be a co-ruler of the area with his brother. In the midst of the turmoil in Judea, there was a ruler that was overthrown by his nephew and Herod traveled to Rome to try to get the deposed ruler back in power. While he was in Rome, the Roman Senate said, well, you just be the king and you take care of it. And so he was kind of named honorary king while he's out of the country, working in the background, trying to elevate himself. And so he comes back to the area. He's been named king by the Roman Senate, but nobody told the guy that was in charge. Uh, so Herod got an army together with some allies and they, they brought him into Jerusalem and uh, much carnage ensued as he uh, instated himself as the king with the help of this Roman uh, army and, and threw out the ruler um, that was there. That's kind of how he got his way into power in the area here. And while he was in power, his, his uh, reign or his rule was fraught with distrust, betrayal, and murder. 
He was given to a violence and he was known for killing anyone he suspected of wanting to take over his power, take over his authority. This included uh, one of his wives and two of his own children. Uh, the family of Herod was, was very mess, messed up. Um, if you, even we looked at his son who had married his brother's wife, his brother's wife was named Herodias because it, uh, it was his cousin or, or half-sister or something. It was a very messed up as far as the family goes. And uh, you see at Herod was suspect of his wife that she wanted to take his throne. So he had her killed. And then he had two of his sons um, killed as well for thinking that they wanted to take his throne, take his power. It was said of Herod by another Roman ruler that it would be better to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. Um, you would be safer being a pig in the house of Herod than you would being a child in the house of Herod. That was his, his uh, nature. That was what he was known for, his reputation. He was a very unpopular ruler. Uh, the people of Israel didn't like him. A lot of Jews were killed as he took over the, took over the throne. A lot of Jews were killed on a whim as, as he was, was the king when he th saw any sort of betrayal that he suspected going on. Um, he was so insecure in his throne that he ordered uh, for many well-respected leaders to be executed at the time of his death so that people would mourn when he died. So everybody was going to rejoice when Herod died. So his plan was, I'll kill a bunch of people they like, and then everybody will be sad when I die. Um, and that was just his nature. Thankfully, that order was not carried out upon his death. Um, his uh, his uh, son overruled that uh, order and did not let that take place. But that was just the kind of man Herod was. And we see his character is perfectly consistent with the Herod that we're introduced to here in Matthew chapter 2. He was suspicious of a new king. He was violent against a perceived threat, and he was unpredictable in his behavior. So we see his, his rise to power and the way he stayed in power was just through brutality and very suspicious suspect and, and considered himself an enemy of anyone he thought would be a potential rival or who was after his authority. So when he gets the news of a new king being born, Herod makes a wicked plan. He heard this message about the baby king there in Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 2, saying, the wise men came to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Kind of you look at the, the context of what's going on there. Uh, it looks like they just came into Jerusalem and just started asking people. Because it says next verse, when Herod heard these things. It might not have gone directly to Herod, but the word got to Herod. And he's like, hey, bring those guys here because I want to know what they're talking about when it comes to this new king. He believed the wise men that the baby had been born. He, he didn't see, he wasn't suspect. He didn't, I mean, we had these strangers roll in from out of, out of country and, uh, and I don't know who they are, but they're saying there's a baby that's been born and he's, he's a king. I don't know anything about a baby. I don't know anything about a king, but these guys must know what they're talking about. He, we see he immediately believed them. He believed the story they were telling and he acted upon his belief, believed that Jesus had come and he acted on his belief by asking the, the um, chief priests and the scribes and said, okay, can you tell me where is this baby supposed to be born? So he believed the wise men. He acted upon that belief. And then what did he do? He turned to the scriptures. He said, get the Bible out. Show me what the Bible says about this. Now, um, kind, of a, kind of a side note, because it's not really where, where Herod's going, but that's a really good practice to have in your life as a believer. When you hear something, when you hear something new about the word of God, you have to go back to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about it. As was Herod, he got some news. Hey, there's a king been born, a Jewish king. Uh, according to prophecy, it was, let me show it, let me see it in the Word of God. And he went there to the, to the Word of God to see that. Now, Herod's got all the wrong motivations. But we as Christians, that's good for us to do. When, you're, when you see a, a preacher on YouTube and he says something and it brings up a little red flag, he says, hold on a minute. 
I haven't heard that before. That sounds a little different than, than what I'm used to hearing. Go to the Word of God. Compare what they said with the Word of God. The, um, the Bereans were in the New Testament. They were a church that was commended for this behavior. In Acts chapter 17, verse number 11, the Bible says, These, talking about the Bereans, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the Word of God um, with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things, whether those things be so these things be so. They went back to the scriptures. They heard the word of God. They said, okay, let me hear what God's word has to say. Okay, well, let me go back to the Bible and compare what I heard with what the Bible says. And that's a good kind of a, kind of a rabbit trail here, but that's a good thing to get into the habit of as a Christian. Don't just, don't just take it in because it's got the name Christian on it or it's got the name Baptist on it. This is our authority. Uh, this is our authority in our lives. And when we come and we hear something about the Lord, we go back and make sure it agrees with the Bible. And if it doesn't agree with this, Throw it out because it's, it's not right. We have the word of God that we go back to. So that's what Herod did. He went to the word of God and said, tell me about this king. Tell me what the Bible says about the king. What went wrong with Herod in this story is that he was unwilling to accept the new king. The story could have gone in a completely different direction had Herod, uh, had Herod gone to the, um, to, the, to the Word of God and saw that it was true and he humbled himself and submitted himself to the prophecy of the Word of God and, and went to go and worship this new king like he claimed he wanted to do. Uh, things would have turned out very differently for Herod, for Herod's family, for maybe the nation as a whole, but that wasn't the case. Herod was unwilling to accept this new authority. There was no one else in Herod's life that was allowed to have authority over him. No one else could tell him what to do. He was unwilling to submit to anyone else, and so he rejected the new king. I'm not going to let that new king have any authority. I'm rejecting the new king. Actually, I want to get rid of the new king. But he made this rejection privately because nobody else knew. The chief priest didn't know. The wise men didn't know at this time what was going on in Herod's mind. But Herod heard the news. He believed the news. He saw it was true in the scripture. And in his mind, he said, I'm going to reject it. But he didn't tell anybody else because we see he goes on to the wise men to, to start to connive and make a, a wicked plan. But a side note about that as well, it was a private decision by Herod. He made the choice to accept or reject the king. And it's the same same is true for everyone. You make the choice on your own to accept or reject Jesus' authority in your life. You make the choice whether to accept or reject Jesus as king. No one else can make it for you. Your parents can't accept the Lord for you just because you grew up in church. Your church can't accept the Lord for you. It's a personal decision that you make whether or not to recognize Jesus' authority in your life. We're going to come back to that thought a little bit more when we get to the meaning of the claim that Herod made here. But we see Herod, after he, re- he checks out the wise men's story with the word of God, and he chooses to reject the new king, he goes back to the wise men to try to get some more information about what's been going on in this uh, account. He goes to them, hey, tell me more. Tell me more about this king. Tell me more about this star. I want, I want to know more about it. We are only told in the scripture here that he asked about the timing of the star. And, uh, but I'm sure there had other questions. When did it happen? When, how, how long has it been there? Uh, there's there's uh, indications in the passage that the star had disappeared for a while. And so when did it disappear? When do you think it's going to come back? I'm sure Herod had these questions, but in his mind, he's not questioning with the purpose of, of strengthening his faith. He's questioning with the purpose of getting the information he needs to destroy this new king. 
He feigned enough interest uh, that the wise men were planning to return to him to share with him the location of the baby. They, uh, they were from out of town. They didn't know what kind of man Herod was. Had they known who Herod was, they wouldn't have come back with the news on their own. We know they didn't, but that was because God warned them not to. They were planning to come back, so, so Herod put on a good front. He put on a good face. Uh, he, hid out, he hid out how wicked his heart was by putting a, by putting a, good, um, a good mask on. And he did that to the wise men. They assumed from his seeming sincerity that he really did want to worship the baby. So Herod convinces the wise men to return to him with news of the baby. This shows how subtle and deceitful and what kind of a liar that Herod was, that he could trick these wise men and say, you know what, I want to go worship this baby too. I got things going on here in Jerusalem. You go find the baby, you come back, tell me, then I'm going to go worship him as well. And all through deceit, all through subtlety that he planned his attack on the new king. In this one instance, uh, he did not act impulsively. He didn't immediately bring his army with the wise men, or the wise men wouldn't have showed him the way. Uh, if he got his army out and said, all right, I'm going to take these soldiers with me, go show us this new king. They'd be like, mm, no, we're not, not going to do that. So he, he deceived them. He, he lied to them. He, he hid his true intentions and uh, sent the wise men on the way. When the wise men failed to return, we see Herod explode in anger. He has all of the children under two years old killed in Bethlehem and the surrounding area uh, when the wise men failed to follow through on what he wanted them to do. You know, anger destroys reason. Anger destroys reason. There's a lot of negative things the Bible has to say about the sin of anger. And we look at anger here in this instance just completely throughout. Herod did not accomplish his goal and he caused a lot of other damage along the way because he responded in anger. No, he did not have to take this action to accomplish what he wanted. He could have sent a small military force to Bethlehem to find out which house and which baby had been visited by this entourage of foreign kings. This was a small town. And when we say small town in America, we think um, two, three, four thousand people. No, this was, a, this was a small town, maybe a couple hundred people in Bethlehem. And a, a visiting kings and the entourage that they had with them would have been quite the stir in this little town. Um, and there would have been some gossip going around about whose house just sends people, hey, did some men come here from out of the country where we think they were spies? Can you tell us where they went, who they, right? Yeah, that house right there. They could have done that, but it wasn't. He acted in anger, and through his anger, he just caused destruction everywhere he went, and that is what anger will do for anyone. You act in anger, and your rational thinking will go out the window, and you'll cause way more damage than you ever intended, and the damage is often unrepairable. So a good warning there from Herod's life in the relation to the idea of anger. So we see that he had all the children killed in Bethlehem, the surrounding area. The age of death that he set by two years old was set by his understanding of the appearance of the star based on what the wise men had told him. He said, okay, up to two years old, we want to kill everybody younger than that. The location was set by the prophecy that the chief priests and scribes had said. It's in Bethlehem. So he said, okay, we're going to go to Bethlehem. We're going to kill everybody two years old and under. And he built in some extra death just to be sure he solved the problem of this dangerous infant threat to his power. Uh, let's just kill all the children. He didn't just say the boys. Let's kill all the children two years old and under. Let's just not do everyone in Bethlehem. Let's do Bethlehem and the coast thereof. Any neighboring towns, let's go ahead and get those kids too just so that I make sure I uh, take care of this dangerous threat of this, this toddler that is, that is um, challenging my throne. Herod was, by his nature, definitely capable of this wanton destruction. In Bethlehem, the coast, he did this broad geography to, to, to um, get his destruction again so he wouldn't miss the threat. 
Herod was so scared of this threat to his authority that he was willing to kill all of these children just in case. Now, in doing so, when Herod did this, he did fulfill biblical prophecy. We saw this in the passage of Scripture. Matthew says that, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, the saying which was told by Jeremy the prophet, that in, in, um, Rachel was going to be weeping. We saw that in verse number 18 about the children that were killed by Herod. This kind of gets us into this question about, well, wait a minute, God, God said this was going to, does that mean God wanted it to happen this way? Does that mean God made Herod? That's kind of the questions that come up when we're trying to understand in our own mind God's sovereignty, God's will, and understand that we take these things by faith. But let me give you some principles about those questions that we go from the Word of God on, and then the rest we understand by faith. Did God, number one, want these children to be murdered by the government? No. It's not, God, not what God wants to take place. Did God know it was going to happen? Yes, he prophesied that it would happen. Does this mean that Herod had to or was forced to kill all these children just because God said it was going to happen? No. Does this mean Herod was doing God's will in killing these children? No. It is, however, an illustration of how God can use evil for something good. God used a wicked act by a wicked king to prove the Bible was true and to prove that Jesus is who he said he is. Now, all that, that's all the explanation I can give. Uh, we can't understand as far as how God's sovereignty and understanding and will and all that fix in a man's free will. That's a huge discussion that people have been wrestling with for ages, but we take it by faith that what the Bible says is true even if we can't understand it or explain it all. So Herod here, he did fulfill biblical prophecy. And I want to make an extra point about Herod in this instance and point out that Herod was motivated by Satan. Herod was motivated by Satan. We, we took some time a couple weeks ago to look at the idea of understanding our enemy. And, and the purpose of that study was to, as Christians, remind us of the spiritual warfare that's going on. Because we get so caught up in the, the, the uh, events of this physical world that we miss the spiritual motivations that are going on in the background. Yes, this, this horrible instance was being, being undertaken by this horrible man to allow these things to happen, but there's a spiritual battle going on as well. Satan is is working in the background. Just as Herod, this pagan king, was afraid of his authority being challenged by this baby, there was another king whose authority was being challenged by this baby. We call him the prince in the power of the air, that this baby was a direct challenge to his authority. He wasn't afraid of this. Satan was not afraid of this baby because he was going to be a future earthly king. He was afraid of this baby because one day this seed of a woman would bruise his head and would set up an eternal uh, kingdom. And Herod um, shared the motivations that Satan had. They both wanted to get rid of this new king because this new king was a challenge to both of their authorities. They shared motivations. They both were after power and authority, and they don't care how they get it. Satan and Herod both. They both were frightened by any challenges that came up to their authority. They're both murderers. The Bible tells us of Satan. He's a murderer from the beginning. They both use subtlety to accomplish their desires. Satan more subtle than all the beasts of the field. And Herod, when he had privily called the wise men um, and he had deceived them. They're both liars. Satan's a liar and the father of it. And we see that in Herod as well, lying, oh, I want to go worship this king too. So we see, yes, these earthly events are taking place, but there's a spiritual battle going on as well. And that's for us Christians. We need to remember that. Yes, there's, there's things going on in the world today, but there's, there's spiritual wickedness in the background um, pushing its agenda as well. Herod was used by Satan to try to exterminate the Son of God. And Herod and Satan both failed in their attempt. So this is the man, this is the messenger that brought us this message, Herod, the, the, this subtle, conniving, lying, murdering man that was used here to prove that Jesus is who he says he 
um, was and to fulfill Scripture. What was the message that he gave? If you notice the claim we put down for King Herod was that he claimed that Jesus was dangerous, this, this new baby. He wasn't here to worship. He wasn't here to rejoice. He didn't recognize him as Lord or as Savior as some of the other people in the account of Christ's birth did. He, he recognized him as dangerous. We looked at Matthew 2, verse number 3 already. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. It's a very interesting verse. Men from outside the country had shown up and said that based on their understanding of the stars, there was a new king born in Israel. Kind of strange news. You think the Israelites would know something about a new king being born. And this news got Herod troubled. Why? Why did it bother Herod? He was the king. He dealt with lots of other threats to his throne before. What's, what's a new one, especially a baby one? How, how is that a big deal? Why would that bother Herod so much? I mean, he had two of his own children murdered. So what, could, what kind of trouble could one baby be? Herod was afraid of this new king because of what Herod believed about this new king. He didn't see him as a challenge to his Roman authority. He saw this new king as the king that was going to come to get rid of Rome. If you remember right here in this time frame, Jews thought that the Messiah was going to come and free them from Rome. Herod was a part Jew. He had small, I believe it was about a one-eighth ethnic Jew in him. He, he put on a front of being Jewish politically. He wasn't religiously Jewish, but he rebuilt the temple and he did other things for the Jewish nation. He kept the chief priests and the scribes around. He put on a, a religious front. So he knew the, the going theology about the Messiah. And for there a star to appear that fulfilled biblical scripture about a coming king who knew who that coming king was. And he knew this wasn't any normal threat to his throne. If this had happened, that the Messiah was going to come to be a conquering king and throw off Roman rule, who would be the first head on the chopping block? How about the, the part Jew who was exploiting the Jewish nation on behalf of the Roman Empire in Jerusalem? Uh, that would be the first one to go had this Messiah come to overthrow Rome. Herod was going to be on the chopping block. These wise men were not bringing news of a Roman baby that would challenge Herod's position as a puppet leader for Israel, in, uh, for the Romans. They were bringing news of a king that would be the king of kings. And Herod believed this. And you can see that he believed this by his response. He didn't go to his friends in Roman politics and say, Hey, who's had a baby? Who's going to be the next Roman that, that moves their way up the, up the chain? Who's, Herod, who's Caesar's friends that he might be elevating at this time? He didn't go there. He didn't go to his military to hunt out that disgruntled general that would say, hey, who's going to try to, to overthrow me in a coup? He went to the, the uh, theologians, said, hey, tell me more about this king of kings that's coming, that's going to get rid of the Romans and, and, and overthrow us and get rid of me. So Herod believed that, but his belief didn't do him any good. By Herod's response, we can see that Herod believed in God. He believed the Bible. He believed that what the Bible said about Jesus he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but that's where he stopped. That belief was not enough. Just believing in the truth about God wasn't enough for Herod. You see, Herod's belief in these truths puts him on the same level of Satan and the demons. In James chapter 2, verse number 19, the Bible says, Thou believest that there is a God, thou doest well. A little bit sarcastic there. Oh, you believe in God? Good for you. So does the devil. Um, and it's not doing him any good. That's the, what James is saying there. The devils also believe and tremble. Herod believed in Jesus. He was unwilling, however, to accept Jesus for himself. Herod was troubled because he would not accept Jesus' authority. This is the heart of the danger that Herod saw from this baby. This baby is dangerous because by his birth, that means I'm not the one that's in control anymore. 
I'm not the one who has the ultimate authority. Just the birth of Christ was an attack on the authority that Herod thought he had. Notice what the wise men said about Jesus in verse number 2. Where is he that is born king? Born king. Not born to be a king. Not born to become a king. Not born to work his way through the political system and eventually turn out a king. Who's the one that's born king? He's born with all the authority. He is born the king of kings. And that is who Jesus was. Not born to be elected. He was king the moment he was born. Herod and Satan still thought and acted like they were the ultimate authorities, but the moment Jesus was conceived with his following birth, there was a higher authority that was present in their kingdoms. Satan's kingdom of this earth, Herod's kingdom of of Judea, there was a higher authority that was present the moment Jesus stepped foot on earth. But Herod was unwilling to accept Jesus. This refusal to accept Jesus' authority is the reason that Herod is in hell today. You can know about Jesus. You can believe the Bible is true. You can believe Jesus is who he says he is. But until you are willing to personally accept him for yourself, you remain lost. Just uh, probably two weeks ago, I had somebody ask me the question, can I get saved without believing that I'm a sinner? Can I just, so I can go to heaven, but I don't, I don't want to believe that I'm a sinner. Can, can I do that? No, you can't. The answer is no. Because this question comes down to one of authority. If Jesus is the authority... Well, I'm a sinner. I'm deserving of hell because the Bible says so. Jesus said so. He's the one in charge, and it's true, and, uh, and I'm a sinner. But if I'm fine the way I am, that means I'm the authority, and Jesus can't tell me that I'm wrong. And so that attitude is a rejection of Christ's authority because you're putting yourself on the throne. Herod wanted to stay on the throne of his own life and would not give that to Jesus. Where does that idea come from, that you can be your own authority? Well, we saw that in Satan's talk. His theology, you be your own king, reject God's authority. That's what Satan's theology is, to attack God's authority and for you to keep yourself on the throne instead of giving it to God. Notice, though, that Herod and Satan weren't the only ones worried about Jesus' arrival. It says, all Jerusalem with them. Jerusalem was troubled. you think Jerusalem would be excited. You would think Jerusalem would be rejoicing. We're not told exactly what's meant by this statement. Could be they were troubled because Herod was alarmed. And whenever Herod gets worried, people die. So maybe that's why Jerusalem was worried. But it seems to imply that they were troubled just at the news, not necessarily troubled at Herod's response to the news. They were troubled that the king was here. One reason they were troubled is they weren't ready for him. They weren't ready for the Messiah to come. They weren't going to accept him. We see the nation of Israel, the people in Jerusalem, they rejected him. It would only be 30 years from now that they would be offered this baby, but he would be a man at the time, as their king. And they'd say, we have no king but Caesar. The same group here in Jerusalem who say, well, you want me to crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. We know the chief priests and the scribes were not excited at the news. We looked at them last week. While Herod's political authority would be challenged by the coming Messiah, their religious authority was challenged by the coming Messiah. And they weren't ready to make Jesus in control of their lives either. We know this is true because Jesus talks about it. There's a a question that Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 21 by the chief priests. They asked him this, When he came to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him and said, By what authority dost thou do these things? Hey, where did you get this kind of authority? Where the authority? Where do you get this authority? And Jesus answers with a story. There's a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. 
When the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. The husbandmen took his servants, and they beat one, and killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir, come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. Pharisees said, the chief priest said, hey, where do, you, where do you get this authority? And Jesus said, I want to tell you a story. There was this, uh, let's say there was this king who, who, who set up this thing that he owned and he let some other people be in charge for a little while. Uh, we could say it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, maybe Jesus didn't say this, but we know from the interpretation. He's talking about Israel. And he let some people have some authority there. Uh, these chief priests, let's say, had some authority. And God sent some people to these, these priests and said, Hey, let me see if you'll recognize my authority. We call those the prophets. And what happened to the prophets when they were brought to, they were killed. They were stoned. They were beaten. They were rejected. And so last of all, this, this, this king who was in a faraway place sent his son. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And said, oh, Will they reverence my son? Will they recognize his authority? And Jesus said, Well, you're going to kill the son. And what happened? These chief priests who said, where'd you get this authority? They killed him because they didn't want to give up their own authority. Um, And we know how that turns out if we took time to read the rest of the story. What's God going to do to those wicked husbandmen? So the, the religious people were not willing to accept his authority either. His coming to earth was dangerous to those who wanted to keep their authority and who refused to humble themselves. But we do see some people who had some great authority in this story. And they did bow before the king. Again, the wise men, some men with great authority. They were greater than chief priests. They were greater than Herod. But they knew they were not greater than this one baby king. So they did humble themselves. So what does this mean for us? Quickly this morning as we finish up the meaning. Number one, Jesus is king. He is king. He is the authority. This is a claim made by the wise men. Uh, And again, one of the claims that, that we'd like to consider. Maybe next week we'll see. How does this story end? Well, we read where we read and where we stopped. We stopped there intentionally in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 18, because where things ended right there, if that was the end of the story, things don't look very good for the baby king. After all, Herod's still in charge. Herod uh, had just exercised his power and showed how much authority he had by having these children murdered. The new king is in exile in a foreign land running for his life with his family. Doesn't it look, don't things look bad for the king? Well, let's read verse number 19. But when Herod was dead. But when Herod was dead. You know, this king who thought he had so much authority, God said, time's up. And Herod had to say, yes, sir. That God is the authority. That King King Jesus is the authority. It didn't matter how much power, authority, or wealth Herod had. When God said, you've got an appointment today with death, Herod couldn't cancel the appointment. When God says, time's up, there was a new king in Judea. And this is the same that goes for everyone who refuses to acknowledge Jesus' authority. They rule at God's mercy. And when God says that's enough, their rule comes to an end. Jesus is, always has been, and always will be the King of Kings. Let me remind you this morning, if you're saved today, you're on the winning side. Because you are a joint heir with the King of Kings. We see this truth, Jesus is King. We see also the truth, or we're reminded of it, that every knee shall bow. Jesus was only dangerous to those who refused to bow. The wise men didn't find him dangerous. The shepherds didn't find him dangerous. Mary and Joseph did not find him dangerous. Simeon and Anna did not find him dangerous. Only those who refused to bow 
only those who refused to acknowledge his authority. The only ones who claimed he was dangerous were those who were unwilling to give up their authority. To them, he is dangerous. Because his authority means they are answerable to him for their sins. Because they refuse to acknowledge his authority now, they will be forced to acknowledge his authority later. And this will not end well for them. Because no, the Bible tells us that every knee shall bow. Every knee. Every knee is going to bow to Jesus. The question is, when is it going to happen? Because you make the choice. You make the choice, are you going to bow now? Or are you going to be forced to bow later? Herod says, I'm not bowing. Well, he's going to. And it's not turning out very well for him. The wise men came and said, we will bow. And things worked out very well for them because they chose to acknowledge Jesus' authority. Anyone who refuses Jesus' authority does it in great danger to their own soul. So we see every knee shall bow. A third point that we can learn from this lesson is that Satan's authority has failed as well. Just as that verse 19 said, but when Herod died, there was an end. This king who thought he was so great and had so much authority and could reject this new king, his reign came to an end. And Satan, who rejects God's authority and who does so much evil and so much wickedness, his reign will also come to an end. Satan saw Jesus as dangerous to the authority he desired for himself. Just like Herod's authority ended, Satan's authority ended as well. We find this, or will end, in Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beasts and false prophet are, shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So yes, the Satan has a lot of authority. He has a lot of power. He can do a lot of evil, just like Herod. But there was a day when Herod's reign ended and Jesus' reign did not. And there is a day when Satan's reign will end and Jesus' reign will not because he is the king. One thought for us today kind of to challenge us on the way out. For Obviously, if you have not bowed the knee to Christ and not been saved, uh, that's something you need to do because you will bow the knee one day. You make the choice to bow it now and you have a home in heaven and you have your sins forgiven or you are forced to bow it later before you are thrown forever into the lake of fire. You're going to bow the knee to Christ because He is the authority. But He's only dangerous to those who reject His authority now. If you are saved today, what's your relationship with Christ's authority like right now? Because He didn't stop being the authority when you got saved and now you get to live however you want. He's still the authority. He is still the King. And even though you've made the choice, if you're here today and you're saved, you made the choice to accept Jesus' authority and, and you have a home in heaven, your sins are forgiven, you have to make the choice on a daily basis to say, is Jesus in charge or am I? How willing are you to submit to his authority? You recognize it at salvation. Are you accepting that authority in every part of your life today? So as we reflect on the birth of Christ, we see him come as king. And it was a scary thing to those who wanted to be in charge. But for those who want to say, okay, Jesus can have control. Jesus can be the Lord. Jesus can be the king. There, there's nothing to fear. So as Christians, we, we've made that decision to put our faith and trust in Christ. Now let's live that out on a daily basis to say, you know what? Jesus is king in my life. He has the authority in my life.